Good evening, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. The title for today's uh, episode is The Fall and Rise of the Taliban. I'm sure you, you're not surprised I'm going to talk about the Taliban. Uh, they just took over Afghanistan. So we're going to talk about the, the fall and rise of the Taliban. This is Atlantic Discourse, and my name remains Ade Balogo. I'm your host. And, uh, you know, in Atlantic Discourse, we always embrace humanity to disseminate positive news in a world filled with very bad news. We give a choice to all the unheard, balance the information equation, we discuss the facts wherever it leads to, we combine the best of all races to get the best out of mankind, serving as a bridge between the developing and the developed world, embracing arts, sports, politics, IT, and faith-based issues. We never run away from the facts. So, today I'm going to break down this... Uh, this bit into four seg- segments. Number one, uh, I'm going to give you a timeline of a country, Afghanistan. And uh, secondly, we're going to look at who are the Taliban. Third, we're going to look at their new leader, uh, the Mullah Abdugani Barada. Who is Mullah Abdugani Barada? And uh, we're going to look at the fourth segment, which is what is the cost of the war to America? The fifth and final one will be what is next. So now let's look at the uh, the historical timeline of uh, Afghanistan is a very historical country, very old country. The land that is now Afghanistan has a long history of domination by foreign conquerors. Uh, the strife among internally warring factions has always been there. It has been a gateway between Asia and Europe. This land was conquered by Darius of Babylon in, I think, 500 BC. The, the, and Alexander the Great, everybody knows Alexander the Great of Macedonia. He conquered it in 329 BC. Mahmud Ghazni, an 11th century uh, conqueror who created an empire from Iran to India, also conquered them at that time. Genghis Khan took the territory in the 13th century. So during the 19th century, Britain, looking to protect its Indian empire from Russia, attempted to annex Afghanistan, resulting in a series of uh, British-Afghan wars. That was 1838 to 42 then 1878 to 80, then 1918 to 21. So in 1921, the British believed in the wake of World War I had defeated in the Third British-Afghan War. That was in 1919 to 1921. And Afghanistan becomes an independent nation. In 1926, Amamullah declares Afghanistan a monarchy. That was that's their leader at that time. Rather than an emirate and proclaims himself the king. That's in 1926. Zahir Shah becomes king in 1933. The new kings bring a semblance of stability to the country and he rules for the next 40 years. United States formally recognizes Afghanistan in 1934. Subsequently, in 1947, Britain withdraws from India, creating the predominantly Hindu, the secular state of India, and the Islamic state of Pakistan. Pakistan, we all know, broke out from India eventually. The nation of Pakistan include long, uh, largely uncontrolled border with Afghanistan. They have a lot of influence over what's happening right now in that country, Pakistan. 1953, the pro-Soviet General Mohammed Dud Khan, cousin of the king, become prime minister and looks to the communist nation for economic and military assistance. He also introduced a number of social reforms, including allow women to a more public presence. That was in 1953. In 56, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev agrees to help Afghanistan and the two countries become close allies. In 1957, as part of doubt reforms, women are allowed to attend university and enter the workforce. In 65, Afghan Communist Party secretly forms the group principal leaders uh, like uh, Babra Kamal and Nur Mohammed Khari. 73, Khan overthrows the last king, Mohammed uh, Zahir Shah. 
So between 1975 and 77, Khan proposes a new constitution. In 78, Khan is killed in a communist coup. 79, American ambassador Adolf Dobbs is killed. The United States cuts off assistance to Afghanistan. A power struggle between Tariki and the Deputy Prime Minister Afizullah Amin begins. Tariki is killed on September 14 in a confrontation with Amin. So Russia invades Afghanistan on December 24 of that same year to bolster the faltering communist regime. So on December 27, Amin and many of his followers are executed. So Russia invaded in uh, Afghanistan. So subsequently, 1982, 2.8 million Afghans have fled from the world to Pakistan and another 1.5 million fled to Iran. Afghan guerrilla gained control of the rural area and Soviet troops hold the urban areas. 84, although he, he claims to have traveled to Afghanistan immediately after the Soviet invasion, Saudi Islamist Osama bin Laden makes his first documented trip to Afghanistan to aid the Soviet fighters. 1986, the Mujahideens are receiving arms from the United States Britain, China, and Pakistan. We all know a lot about that. In 1988, in September, Osama bin Laden and 15 other Islamists from the group called Al-Qaeda, or popularly known as the base, to continue their jihad or holy war against the Soviet. In 1989, the U.S., Pakistani, Afghani, uh, the US, Pakistan, and Afghanistan and the Soviet Union signed a peace accord in Geneva, guaranteeing Afghan independence and the withdrawal of 100,000 Soviet troops. Following Soviet withdrawal, the Mujahideen continued with their resistance against the Soviet. So in 1982, Mujahideen and other rebel groups with the aid of Tonkot government troops stormed the capital Kabul and ousted then President Najibullah from power. Ahmed Shah Massoud, a legendary guerrilla leader, leads the troop into the capital. So the Mujahideen, a group already beginning to fracture as warlord, fight over the future of Afghanistan. So in 1985, newly formed Islamic militia, the Taliban, rises to power on the prominence of peace. This we're going to talk about shortly. Most of the Afghans exhausted by years of drought, famine, and war approved of the Taliban for upholding. The Taliban outlaw cultivation of poppies for opium trade, crackdown on crime, etc. Uh, women were required to be fully veiled and are not allowed outside alone. Between 1995 and 1999, continued drought devastate farmers and make many rural areas inhabitable. So in 97, the Taliban publicly executed that then President Najibullah. In 1998, following Al-Qaeda's bombing of two American embassies in Africa, President Clinton orders cruise missile to be launched against Bin Laden in his camp in Afghanistan. Year 2000, by now considered an international terrorist, Bin Laden is widely believed to be hiding in Afghanistan, where he's cultivating thousands of followers in terrorist training camp. In 2001, ignoring international protests, the Taliban carried out a threat to destroy uh, Buddhist statues in Bamiya, Afghanistan, saying they are an affront to Islam. That was popularized all over the world then. In September 4, on September 4, 2001, a month after arresting them, the Taliban put eight international aid workers on trial for spreading Christianity under Taliban rule. And uh, they, they were punishable by death. The group is held in various Afghan prisons for months and finally released on November 15 of the same year. Uh, Masood, that's on September 9th, Shah Masood, still head of the Northern Alliance, a nation's top insurgent, is killed by assassin posting as a journalist. That's uh, very popular at that time. That was prior to two days before 9-11. So on 9-11, Ajaka's commander for commercial 
planes crashed them into the World Trade Center in New York, Pentagon outside Washington, D.C., and a Pennsylvania field killing thousands that we all know about. That's what sparked all this. So, October 7, following unanswered demand that the Taliban turn over Bin Laden, the U.S. and British forces launches airstrike against targets in Afghanistan. American warplanes start to bomb Taliban, uh, Taliban targets and uh, bases. Reportedly belong to Al-Qaeda network. The Taliban proclaim they are ready for GI. So after weeks of intense fighting with Taliban troops, the Northern Alliance enters Kabul. December 7, Taliban fighters abandoned their stronghold. That's December 7, 2001. Taliban abandoned their final stronghold in Kandahar. That's the ancestral home of the Pashtuns. As the militia hold on to Afghanistan continue to disintegrate. Two days later, Taliban leader surrenders the group's final Afghan territory, the province of Zabul. The move leads the Pakistan-based Afghan Islamic press to declare the rule of Taliban in Afghanistan as totally ended. December 22, 2001, Amit Kazai, a loyalist and ethnic Pashtun, is sworn in as leader of the interim government in Afghanistan. Now, that's uh, popular Amit Kazai. He's still in Kabul right now. He didn't, he didn't leave because he's, uh, I think he's good friend with the current leader, Baradai. 2007, in June, the lawyer Jiga, that is the Grand Council, elects Kazai again, U.S. back Kazai, as interim leader. 2003, amidst violence, NATO takes over security in Kabul in August. The effort is a security organization, first ever commitment outside of Europe. That's historical in itself. Uh, January 2004, this same loyal Jiga, the Grand Council, adopts a new constitution allowing input from nearly 500,000 Afghans, some of whom participate in public meetings and villages. So it's a trickle-down effect. It's their own form of democracy to give a sense of belonging to everybody. It's, uh, so loyal Jiga is an Afghanic term for Grand Council or what you call sovereign national conferences on palace. Okay, October 2004, presidential elections are held. More than 10.5 million Afghans registered to vote and choose... Uh, among 18 presidential candidates, Kazai is elected with 55% of the vote. 2005, the nation holds its first parliamentary election in more than 30 years. 2006, Taliban and Al-Qaeda fighters, you know, start fighting against NATO again. So the Afghan government and NATO confirmed that Taliban commander Mullah Dandula was killed. 2008, international community pledges $15 billion in aid to Afghanistan. Barack Obama names Richard Holbrook as envoy to Afghanistan and Pakistan as 2009. 2010, President Obama accepts General McChrystal's resignation as commander in Afghanistan. 2011, U.S. forces overtake a compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan, and kill Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden or made to local time. A lot of people will say that was mission accomplished because that's why America went there in the first instance. So in 2012, Amit Kazai calls for American forces to leave Afghanistan and uh, pull back to their bases after U.S. soldiers kill 16 civilians inside their homes. The Afghan army takes over all military and security operations from NATO forces. I mean, that shows that at 2013, Afghan forces are taking responsibility. So U.S. forces were just in their barracks. So May 2014, Obama announces timetable for significant reducing of troops. So all the way to October 2015, Obama abandons plan to withdraw U.S. forces by the end of presidency and maintains 5,500 troops in Afghanistan when he leaves office in 2017. So the drawdown has been going on for a while. Uh, so in 20, August 21, 2017, Trump commits to continue military withdrawal to prevent emergence of a vacuum of terrorists. February 2011, U.S. and Taliban sign a peace deal. 
September 2019, Trump calls off peace talk after U.S. soldier is killed in Taliban. November 2020, U.S. announces plan to cut troop size in half down to 2,500. That was what they had as of recently before the final pullout. Biden announced aims to complete U.S. withdrawal uh, last April 2020. July 5th, 2021, U.S. leave Bagram Air Base. I mean, the rest is uh, history. So now... Who are these Taliban?s We need to know who they are. Also, you know, so that we can have a better understanding of what we're dealing with. Let me just give a brief uh, explanation of who they are. I mean, in the winter of 1995, you know, well, there was already vacuum in leadership. Nobody really occupied. Uh, Afghanistan is a country where no group has really occupied 100% of the land. As you know, in Afghanistan, you have four major ethnic groups. You have the Pashtuns, that are 42% of the population. You have the Azaris, who are 9%. You have the Uzbek, that are 9%. The Tajik are 27%. There are other minor, minor, like the Baloch, the Aymak, but these are just 1% or 2% of the fragment of, uh, of uh, the population. So, who are the Taliban? Their very name, that word Taliban means student, you know. A quarter of a century uh, later, after they first came, you know, they, they just showed face for the first time in 1994. And that 94, they were all students in different madrasas all over. But all of a sudden, in 1994, the Taliban arose, you know, amid the turmoil that followed the withdrawal of the Soviet uh, from Afghanistan in 89. So the group was rooted in rural areas in Kandahar province. That's the Pashtuni area, the ancestral home of then, uh, the Mullah Umar, which is still their strong base. You know, the Soviets were defeated by Islamic fighters known as Mujahideen. We, we all know that, but they really emerged then. But the joy over the that victory was short-lived as various factions fell out and began fighting for control. So the, the when the Soviets left, there was so much instability. So against this backdrop, the Taliban, with their promise, to put Islamic value first and to battle the corruption that drove the warlords fighting, you know, quickly attracted a lot of following among the population. Over months of intense fighting, they, they just took over most of the country, you know. So that's how they really emerged. So how did they rule? You know, in 96, the Taliban declared an Islamic emirate imposing harsh interpretation of the Quran and forcing it with brutal public punishment, you know. They, flocked people openly, there were mass amputation, mass execution, and they strictly curtailed the role of women, keeping them out of school. They also had a clear rival religious practice that could not be tolerated. So any form of uh, Islam that didn't, that didn't work well with them, they condemned it. It has to do by there. It has to be what they wanted. In uh, early 2021, the Taliban destroyed the statues known as the Great Buddhas of Birmingham. I said that earlier when I was reading the timeline. So their framework of modern government, including ministry and bureaucracy, they, they, they just destroyed all that. They, they, they didn't believe in all that. So, But at street level, it was religious edicts and the whims of individual commanders. So that was how they ruled. They didn't... Uh, so, I mean... We all know what it meant for women. Women were ostracized and all that. So that's who they are. They, they, they were first known in 94, but they took over 40% of the country in 1995. So that's where they, we really started hearing them. And uh, they were led by then uh, Mullah Omar, who died in, I think, 2013. But I think they didn't, they didn't announce it to us. He had died earlier than that. You know, they didn't, it would have been bad news for them. And Barada, who is going to be the new leader, was number two then to to uh, Mullah Omar. So now, who 
we are trying to look at the cost of the war. Uh, then we'll look at who Barada is. Yeah, maybe I should just uh, look at who, who, who Mola Barada is before I look at the cost of the war. Because Barada, as you all know, was number two to Mola Omar. You know, I mean, four years ago, Mola Barada was still languishing in a Pakistani prison after being arrested for masterminding the uh, Taliban brutal military campaign in Afghanistan. Today, he's poised to become the country's new leader after the dramatic fall of his government in the wake of the West withdrawal. So, as Taliban forces since Kabul on Sunday, we all saw that on TV, the Bestako 54-year-old was understood to be heading to the Afghan capital from Qatar, but eventually landed in Kadawa. So, that's where he is. A veteran combatant who caught his teeth fighting uh, against the Soviet then. So, he was a Mujahideen, clearly. You know, so we know that. Like many of Taliban's top leaders, Barada is an enigmatic, very enigmatic, very charismatic. He is taught to speak English, but does not cut uh, uh, the media. Some says he doesn't, but some says he does, you know, so restricting himself mainly to official statement list to Quranic quote. But why I will speak for negotiation, because he is seen as one of the group most politically pragmatic operators. So that's, he's been the one in charge. So he's going to be the ruler. So look at his past life, however, reveals little to suggest his example will be anything other than a return to the old ways. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I've looked at Barada. He was very close to Amit Kazai. He was in charge of, uh, he, was, he was leading a faction. When America took over then, he, he was telling everybody that they should cooperate with Amit Kazai, that Kazai is Pashtuni like them. So I suspect that taking into consideration that Kazai is still in, Kabul refused to go and is talking to Barada. I think this time around, they will, they will want some political relevance and they'll be very careful what they do. Don't, don't let's forget that 9.5 billion of Afghanistan money is still in foreign bank or Western bank. They will need access to those funds. So, I mean, it was released in 2018 at the request of Zalma Khalizda, the US envoy uh, of then President Trump. So the rest is history. He's going to take uh, leadership now. He's already in Kandahar and he's running things. They still do have a spiritual head. I suspect they're going to adopt the Iranian type of uh, uh, government. They will have a spiritual leader. Then they have political leader. So now, the cost of the war to America. Well, the co- <laughs> that's a lot. But we still have to look at it. The Afghan war cost United States $2 trillion. I mean, it, the cost is even greater in terms of life lost, you know. The U.S. lost 2,448 of its service members while fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan. Nearly 4,000 civilian contractors also died and uh, about 66,000 Afghan national military, you know, and police personnel were killed in these 20 years. So that's a lot. I mean, we're not talking money here. These are human. You know, Afghanistan is now clearly under the Taliban and it took just a month to defeat the Western back forces of Afghanistan. So that's so sad. I mean, I haven't spent so much. And like President Biden said, I mean, we cannot, you can't put US forces in the line of fire when the people in, in, in that country are not even ready to lead the onslaught. The turnaround happened in the wake of pullout of US forces in Agassa. We all saw that. So there's very, very little America can do. I, I do think that, I mean, the war is not sustainable, but this cost is high, $2 trillion. You know, According to estimates by cost of war project, that's at the Brown University, the United States has spent about $2 trillion on the war in Afghanistan. This includes direct funding of $800 billion and, uh, to the government for their infrastructure, day-to-day government salaries and what have you. Then another $83 billion to train the Afghan army. That's, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's outside other 
you know the brown university also made the projection that the cost of interest on the united states afghan world debt will go up to 6.5 trillion by 2050 and that would pitch the average american since it translates to twenty thousand dollars for each america every u.s citizen so the cost is even greater in terms of life loss you know like i said 2448,000 americans uh, 4,000 contractors and you know those contractors are of american origin so the civilian cost is also high. They lost about 47,245 Afghan. The number of Taliban, other opposition figures killed in the war stands at about 51,000 according to university figures. So the U.S. has also committed a substantial amount in health care, disability barrier, other costs for roughly 4 million Afghanistani and Iraqi veterans. That amount will peak after 24 years. Well, America is out of it. <laughs> so all those are just uh, projections and what have you. So the cost of war. So what, what is next really for Afghanistan? And as far as I'm concerned, I mean, that I'm trying to be pragmatic now. I, I do think that uh, America is wise to have left Afghanistan. It's that law has the, the war has overstretched twenty two trillion dollars in twenty years. Now the initial objective was to get Osama bin Laden, who was being accommodated by the Taliban at that time, and Osama is dead, and uh, there's no direct economic value that Afghanistan is giving to the United States government. So having those number of soldiers on ground really it's uh, at the cost of maintaining them. America has trained, you know, according to all sources, 300,000 Afghani uh, civilians to military, including police, and they equip them with same armor jeep, American hardware, even feeding them, paying them. So there's no reason for them not to fight back. But I'm not surprised because I think that there are a lot of tribal innuendos, you know, so that that led to the fall of the, the government of the day. They were not paying salaries, even though they were getting money from the United States. The, 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 the federal government of the day did not equip properly. Most of these hardware were being sold in black market. Then I think President Ghani, from all the indications, was very stubborn. He wasn't listening. He arrogated the knowledge of him to, to the knowledge of leadership to himself. So when you isolate yourself in leadership, you know, unlike Amit Kazai, who had a better spread, Amit Kazai had a good understanding. So I, I thought Ghani in the first lesson was a very wrong choice because there was stability in the time of uh, Kazai. Kazai with Abdullah Abdullah then could balance it. They knew when to blow hot with the Americans. They knew when to blow to the Taliban. And as I said earlier, Baradai, who is coming in, is a very good friend of uh, Amit Kazai. So I, I do think that this time around, the Taliban will want to have a seat at the table. They will want to be able to go to the United Nations. They will want to be able to do to have international relevance. I don't think they are looking at the sanction. I do suspect that they are going to want to do things the way it is done in Iran. You know, they'll have a spiritual head. And I won't be surprised if in two or three years' time, they also decide to have an election, you know. I mean, like in Iran, we know the elections are controlled, but, you know, just to give them a sense of belonging. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, there are about $9.5 billion of uh, Afghanistan money that is in foreign banks. So they want to access those money, and they, 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 they cannot access those money if they act like savages like they did in the in their previous coming when they came in in 1995 so it's a different scenario a lot of events are unfolding we know former president Ghani is now in the united arab Emirates. 
the UAE has decided to accommodate him on humanitarian ground. So America is moving out all the people, all the American citizens and all the Afghanis that has helped them. So the airport has been secured. As we know, we saw some very horrible footages sometimes back. But uh, I think things have stabilized now. There are about six uh, entrances to the the airport now so things are under control like the american government said they are in direct talk with the taliban so i i don't think that this time around the taliban will want a lot of balance we know that uh, the russians have failed in afghanistan it does look like the americans too are living without a proper grasp of the situation but the chinese are locking they are there so i know they have promised them that they'll rebuild an highway from kabul all the way to somewhere in china it's not impossible so Let's see if the Chinese will succeed where everybody, as everybody else has failed. But Afghanistan as a country is bordered by about seven or eight countries, Iran, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, China, India, Pakistan, you know. So just to name a few, everybody has an interest there. So it's going to be, if not well properly managed, another Iraq. It is important to know that no time, in no, no at no period in modern time, had any government occupied our hard total control of the entire Afghanistan, you know, even at the peak of Taliban power, they had the Northern Alliance to contend with. So it's, uh, it's, it's looked complicated, but I do think that with the way things are now, it's clear that the funding for the Taliban is coming mainly from the, from the Sunni Saudi government. I think their organization is mostly from the Pakistani ISI who helped create the Taliban ab initio, you know, the, they help them with structure and all that. And it's also in Pakistan interest to have a control of whatever is happening there. So Pakistan has a lot of role to play. The Saudis have a lot of role to play. The Russia on ground also, I suspect the Russians are helping them with intel and other things just to spite the Americans. But I don't think with the way things are now, America is just going to walk away. I suspect that right now they have about 5,500 soldiers on ground. They want to make it 6,000 6, in the next 24 hours. So I suspect that with the investment they have on ground, hardware and all that, they might want to have a small force, maybe 2,500 on ground permanently, you know, and uh, and I don't think they're going to evacuate their, their embassy totally from, uh, from Afghanistan. Yeah, they're going to want to have a stay there, their representation, because Russia is there, China is there. It's only India and some of the Western embassies I know that have removed their people. So I don't think the Taliban will be as savage as before. I think the the... 20 years is a lot of time for America to spend there, considering most of the money America even spent there were borrowed money. So they just had to leave at some point. And like the president and a lot of people have said, there's no good way to pull out of the war. It will always be messy. There will always be casualties and uh, there'll be some level of rowdiness. But I have to give it to the US military. Within 24 hours, they calm the situation down and uh, everything is back to normal. So we'll, we'll keep monitoring what is happening. But, I mean, it is it is clear that the Taliban fell then and they are back in power again. And it just shows that because they are mostly Pashtunis and Pashtuns are 42% of the Afghani population. So they are the largest block. So it makes sense that they just should be left in charge. They are Afghanis so, and uh, they should be left to manage their country. But it would be wise on their part to do what is needful. So let me end it there. That'll be a bit for today at Atlantic Discourse. This, uh, we titled The Fall and the Rise of the Taliban. Yeah, They somehow deserve it because they've been gaining ground for the past five years. They never left anyway. 
also want to add one thing before I leave. You know, uh, in Iraq, the American disbanded Iraqi army. I, I think they shouldn't have done that. Also, when they took over in Afghanistan, they refused to talk to the Taliban. I think if they had negotiated with them, they could have just, you know, inculcated the, that was, sorry, absorbed them is the right word. And it would have been better because they seem to have a better understanding of everything that goes there because they're the largest militant force in that country. So, and that has been proven beyond reasonable doubt that they are relevant and they've shown their relevance. So anybody that wants a stake in that part of the world, will we'll have to talk to them. So thank you to our listeners. Thank you every time you listen to Atlanta discuss with Adi Balogun. And uh, like I said, the fall arise of the Taliban is today's topic. So we look forward to giving you another juicy, juicy podcast and topic next week, Friday. Thank you and God bless you all. Bye.